Hello, and welcome to the Energy Policy Now podcast from the Climate Center for Energy Policy at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Stone. Recently, the threat of cyber attack on the nation's electricity system has come into urgent focus. Earlier this year, the FBI and Department of Homeland Security made public a series of cyber attacks that got inside the control systems of several unnamed nuclear power stations. Another recent attack on a network of natural gas pipelines threatened fuel supply to gas-fired power plants in the eastern part of the country. And these breaches came in the wake of a 2015 cyber attack on three Ukrainian electric utilities that left more than 200,000 people without power. Yet even as awareness of cyber threats has risen, our vulnerability to such attacks continues to grow. At the distribution level, behind-the-meter technologies like rooftop solar, battery storage, and demand response make the electric system more efficient, but also provide attackers with new points of entry into an electric system that was, by and large, built without cyber threats in mind. On today's podcast, two cybersecurity experts will take a look at these distribution-level vulnerabilities of the electric system and at political and technological means of addressing cyber risk. Guest Bill Hederman is a senior fellow with the Climate Center for Energy Policy and a former senior advisor to the U.S. Secretary of Energy during the Obama administration. He was also founder of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission's Office of Market Oversight and Investigations. Steve Kunzman is the chairperson of the Cybersecurity Subcommittee at the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers, more commonly known as IEEE. He is also director of product management and applications at ABB Grid Automation in North America. Bill and Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Andy. So the focus of today's podcast is on cybersecurity of the electricity distribution system. Steve, can you tell us what this distribution system is and why it is of such concern from a cybersecurity perspective? Sure, Andy. So the electric distribution system is the connection between the bulk energy system, as defined by the North American Reliability Corporation, uh, and uh, the consumers, where the customers are connected either residentially or from an industrial base. Uh, the, the main concern from a cybersecurity perspective is with the distribution system is the potential wide-scale coordinated cyber attack that could impact a large area. Bill, can you give us a, the latest on cyber threats? What are the major developments we're seeing? So uh, the latest threats are pretty sophisticated and persisting. You know, this is an area that evolved from hackers playing games to uh, organized crime to where we are today with nation-state conflict. And we have entered a period of a hidden war, basically. And if you look at, you know, war involves treasure and blood. We've got a lot of treasure in terms of uh, activity by these nation states. Fortunately, there hasn't been much in the way of physical harm to individuals yet. Uh, But it's moved to this persistent, sophisticated level. And uh, I think Steve can walk us through the history First, I want to ask you, what are the targets that that some of these cyber attackers may be looking at, Bill? Okay, so the the targets ultimately are the bulk power grid where you can cascade problems through the whole North American system. But what we're talking about today is that 
just as on 9-11, you can start your attack entering in some small part of the system, which can give you access to other parts. And once you're on the inside, sometimes it's easier to uh, make malicious things happen. So, Steve, can you give us a quick history? Uh, When did cybersecurity become a concern for the electricity sector? Sure. Um, from a cybersecurity perspective, yeah, I've worked in this industry for over 34 years. Uh, it hasn't been until 2006 that this really started to get a lot of airtime. And if we look at what was going on in, in the nation at that time, uh, the North American Reliability Corporation was empowered by FERC to basically come up with the Critical Infrastructure Protection, or also known as NERC-SIP. These are a set of cybersecurity standards uh, for, as Bill mentioned, the bulk energy system, uh, typically transmission uh, above uh, 230 kV at that time, uh, interconnections or generation facilities providing the bulk power into the uh, critical infrastructure. Um, And at this time, uh, these plants were um, focused on securing uh, the cybersecurity activities. Uh, In 2007, um, Aurora vulnerability was introduced where Idaho National Labs actually ran the Aurora generator test. It demonstrated how a cyber attack could destroy physical components of the electric grid. And in this case, it was actually a diesel generator. In 2010, probably the most uh, notorious uh, vulnerability, Stuxnet, was, was introduced. Uh, and this malicious computer uh, worm targeted a SCADA system. A SCADA system is supervisory control and data acquisition. This is what the utilities use to manage the entire operation. And this was responsible for causing substantial damage uh, to actually Iran's nuclear program, uh, debilitating that. If we go forward a couple years, in 2014, black energy vulnerability was identified. And this is a Trojan that's used to conduct a denial of service In other words, it tries to shut down all communications on a particular control system uh, and then also information destruction as part of that. The black energy attackers began deploying these in SCADA-related plugins, modules that go into the SCADA system uh, unknowingly to these uh, victims of these industrial control systems. Uh, I think the most notorious uh, attack happened in the Ukraine in 2015. And this is where uh, a series of spear phishing attacks uh, allowed entrance of the adversaries into the system. And the Black Energy 3 was utilized to infiltrate the utilities operations centers, unknowingly surveilling the operations activity for approximately six months. And then in December 2015, remotely commenced the attack on the control center, opening multiple breakers in several distribution substations which resulted in over 200,000 customers being without power. And then a year later, also in the Ukraine, this time on a transmission uh, utility, uh, the Ukraine 2 cyber attack occurred, and this resulted in substation transmission power being out. The vulnerability was later identified as in-destroyer, or more commonly known as crash override, impacted the substation control system. And as you said, what was very, you know, you know so, so damaging about those attacks was that 
the the attackers started out in the uh, kind of the information system of the utilities and actually managed to jump into the SCADA system. That is kind of the control system for the whole uh, you know electric system. They successfully managed to do that, and as I understand, that was one of the first times that was successfully done. Uh, that, that is correct, and this is this was done through a spear phishing attack. So uh, emails that were sent to the operators that looked like uh, valid emails from their company were opened up as soon as these uh, attachments uh, were opened. Uh, key, key loggers were put onto the machine, and, and then the bad guys got access to every keystroke that was going on the computer. So once they had the credentials of each one of the, the different components of the system and actually to the VPN, uh, they had free reigns for over six months in, in that network. So the, the, the means of attack have proliferated. There are many more options for these attackers. Uh, it sounds like they're using many more options than they would have even several years ago. So we've talked so far primarily about the bulk electric system. But let's look again more specifically at the distribution level vulnerabilities. Bill, can you give us a little bit of idea of, of how the distribution grid is different in terms of the vulnerability that it presents? Sure, Andy. So at the distribution level, we've seen a lot of advances, both in terms of the introduction of renewable energy, most prominently rooftop photovoltaic, and that requires a system for integrating that electricity back into the distribution grid, typically involves smart inverters. So anytime you see the word smart here, we're talking about adding IT into the operations. And so both in demand-side responses and renewable introduction and integration, we need to have control systems involved. Typically, the links of the control system are internet-based, and when we're internet-based, we become vulnerable. And the distribution energy resources add a whole new dimension of connections, both uh, communication links and physical links. And these then expand the perimeter that has to be defended. So the grid that we have today uh, was built way before cyber was an issue, was built before there was any inkling that data was going to be carried over this grid. It has changed now. Um, how can infrastructure that is so antiquated be made more secure, Bill? Well, we have the knowledge of how to do it. We don't necessarily have the resources to do it, either in terms of the talent or the funding. So uh, I think we're seeing a lot of advances we have begun to do more training. Steve mentioned the spear phishing. That's an awareness training issue for all operational personnel. And just getting people to understand this isn't about obviously malicious or bogus communication. It can be a lot of things. That level of awareness is, is something that we need to explain to everyone. So if you will, cyber hygiene training needs to be out there for everyone who's involved in the electric power industry. Uh, secondly, uh, we're beginning to develop more 
technical solutions here. And I think, you know, we'll drill into the details there. But basically, encryption, uh, adding to firewalls, adding to changing uh, elements of the system are all places where industry, government, and the R&D community, including uh, places like Steve's company, are contributing advances to what we're getting done. That's a very interesting point that you brought up when you talked about preparing people, looking out for phishing attacks, et cetera. This isn't just about technology. This is also about people being aware of the possible uh, uh, ways that that, uh, 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 corrupted files, attacks could be to get into the system. And that obviously people are one of the first lines of defense uh, for that as well. Steve, how does the U.S. compare with other countries in terms of preparedness for these types of threats? So I think the U.S. is absolutely evolving, and I think with the uh, the NERC SIP uh, regulatory standards, uh, we've really moved the needle forward compared to where we were ten years ago. Uh, so, so I think we're in a good position to be able to understand. Uh, I can also say that if I would have walked into a substation designer uh, ten years ago and mentioned cybersecurity, they would have threw me out of the room. Today, we need to embrace this because. At the end of the day, uh, our, our mission from providing electric power to our industry is the reliable and safe power delivery. Cybersecurity needs to be an enabler to, to achieve that. And there, in the early days of NERC-SIP, uh, there was actually a pushback or a reactionary movement to be able to air gap or disconnect everything in the system. Well, that does nothing to serve the reliability benefits that we can get from the data coming from our substation. So as we transition into this digital era and, and more modern communications, as Bill had mentioned, uh, we need the security because this will also provide higher levels of reliability to our overall grid. Bill, you spent some time in Ukraine. What was your experience with the, the grid there and the level of preparedness? So... The grid in Ukraine is uh, at a different level of preparedness than the North American system, but they were on they were on a conscious wartime standing where we need to think that way within our electric power system. Uh, but I think the really important point in the time I spent in Ukraine. And I was not involved in the investigations on the cyber attack. I was there for other energy policy issues. But I came to appreciate this is a very sophisticated technological country. Their engineers are every bit equivalent to anybody we have in the West. And so this wasn't an attack on some sleepy little hollow. This was an attack on a sophisticated group of engineers. And... uh, the West really leapt to the support of, of those, those systems. Yeah, Bill, if I can also add to that, and, and this is a question whenever I'm giving a lecture, I, I typically throw out there. And my question is, would NERC-SIP, the regulatory standard, have impacted Ukraine 1, which was distribution networks? And, and yeah, I see people perplexed and think about this, and I come back, okay, it's not that difficult. It really depends. So my position on this, if um, we would have put the posture in place from a security perspective that NERC-SIP is driving on our bulk energy, they would have prevented 
a lot of the impact from uh, the, the Ukraine one incident. But the fact that there are distribution utility, uh, NERC SIP was not regulatory on top of them, so it would not have applied. So uh, again, there's a lot of goodness that is coming out of the regulatory standards and the policies that are being put in place that can easily be carried over to the distribution level. Yeah, I I, uh, strongly agree with what you just said, Steve. Uh, I'd like to add, I think one of the concerns about distributed energy resources is that FERC hasn't still still taken its position on that matter. They're just having hearings and technical conferences related to it. And so, any as you say, anything NERC says may not apply. That doesn't mean that other regulators cannot take it and and help apply it. But uh, that's a big concern about all the distributed energy resource issues. And uh, secondly, um, I think that the professional societies are trying to step up here. And as I've examined this whole issue, I think the voluntary action by both companies in the industry and professionals in the industry has made a big difference in moving forward here. And it's a tricky area because the the level of attacks we've been seeing are something that if you thought about uh, kinetic attacks, you know, physical attacks, you'd be demanding military involvement. But very clear that the military does not want to get involved in civilian systems, nor do civilian systems want the military to get involved. So we're on new, we're on new turf here, too. Okay, so Bill, so we've been talking again about the, the, um, the, bulk, uh, the bulk electric system. Uh, FERC oversight of that uh, electric system, that's the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. But FERC's authority does not extend to the distribution level that we've been talking about as well. That's generally under the purview of the states. Can you tell us a little bit who currently and who might provide oversight of the distribution level system and create a national standard that could be workable? Okay, so I'll start, Andy, by saying I doubt there will be a national standard. There might be some national benchmarks around which standards get put in place. But every state and uh, the District of Columbia and territories have public utility commissions that function at that state level. These groups are responsible for the oversight of the reliability and the uh, finances of electric utilities. There are other groups like co-ops. The, uh, there are rural electric co-ops that are not subject to regulation by the government, but they have their own co-op boards that provide regulation. Uh, same with other public power, such as municipal power systems. Uh, and the other trend there is uh, among the public power and among the co-ops, there are both very large and strong players and also small and much weaker ones. Same with the state. So there's become there's a broad range of capabilities out there when we get away from the federal level. And one of the challenges is for hopefully the feds have begun to provide some funding for capability building in these different uh, areas where there is less capability. And I think that will continue. Uh, 
two of the uh, channels for that are the Electricity Subsector Coordinating Council, kind of a mouthful, uh, where uh, the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, and the Department of Energy lead discussions among leaders from all those groups to help them get educated and suggest actions that could be taken. And then secondly, the National Association of Regulatory Utility Commissions meets and on almost every agenda in the last several years, there's a discussion around cybersecurity. It's an opportunity for the state commissioners to and their staffs to get educated on this. Where do the states stand right now in terms of actions they've taken? It differs very much from state to state. Some States in the Northeast tend to have been more active in this area. Uh, New Jersey, Connecticut, New York have been uh, more formally taking action. Uh, there, there are other places around the country. I would mention Georgia, California, where uh, this is getting serious attention and we can expect things to happen. Other states do not believe it's critically important to them. And uh, I think part of the education has to be for everyone to understand this notion that you can enter the U.S. air system from Maine, uh, you can enter the cyber system relevant to power from anywhere. Mm -hmm. So so in addition to that, so even if there were regulatory uh, policies for the distribution network, I think, you know, large IOUs, uh, investor-owned utilities, uh, can certainly handle this because they're already doing the regulatory side on the transmission sector. But I think a lot of the public powers, your municipalities, your your cooperatives that are out there, they're not staff. They don't have the resources to be able to uh, facilitate uh, a lot of these policy uh, implementations. Bill and myself actually um, were in an IEEE cybersecurity workshop in December of 2017, and uh, a poor small generator saying, this is all great, but how do I embrace this? How do I know which are the most important standards to really focus on? So it's going to be a major challenge for these small entities to be able to embrace and really do something to improve their cyber skills. So, Steve, uh, taking your lead on that, what are some of the technical solutions uh, that are out there and in, in, in what you've been working on at IEEE? Uh, yeah, thanks, Sandy. So good, good question, and I'm going to plug the IEEE. So the Power Systems Communication and Cybersecurity Committee was newly formed in 2017, and the IEEE saw this uh, as a very, very important part. And prior to this, cybersecurity resided in several different committees within the IEEE. So this is allowing us to be able to provide focus for the entire electric power system in, in a single committee. Uh, my subcommittee that I run for the cybersecurity is really focused on providing the, the best practices based on sound engineering judgments and developing the technical standards to be able to implement good cybersecurity posture. Uh, and, and this is really different than from what the NERC regulatory side. So NERC is a performance-based standard. NERC SIP is a performance-based standard. Uh, however, yeah, it will tell you what you need to do, but not how to do it. Our job in the IEEE and other industry activities, IEC and the ISA, are here to provide the technical standards which, which make the backbone and the blueprint towards uh, regulatory compliance easy. 
So this is what we're trying to do. There are several activities on developing uh, technical standards for substation uh, control systems uh, for how we secure uh, the infrastructure going outside of the substation. Uh, and then also we're working on activities to try to bring the communities together to raise awareness and educate. So we're quite active in all of these areas to, to improve the overall situation. So, Steve, do you think the U.S. will be able to effectively address the risks that are out there? So, Andy, I, I wish I had my crystal ball. Um, what I can say is, is we have come a long way. Um, back in 2007, I actually sat on an ERC SIP committee panel from a vendor perspective, and you know they were basically saying that Ethernet was the devil. We shouldn't put this in our substation because the hackers are going to be able to, to get in and open this up. And this is where I talked about the R and NERC stands for reliability and really bringing the balance between security and reliability. We've come a long way from the perception that air gap is the solution because it's not when we look at the overall uh, grid reliability is important to have the data and information to drive automated systems, uh, higher advanced systems to drive the, uh, the electric utility. What is that air gap, um, by the way? Uh, air gap may, basically means when you disconnect all communications to the substation because then the bad guys cannot get into the substation. So with a lot of the technical standards that, that we're now developing, uh, this will provide, uh, as I said, the blueprint to be able to, to have technical conformity. We need the industry engagement. So, so we need to be all together in this, both industry, the utilities, the vendor community, and the government agencies to be able to raise uh, the level of cybersecurity policy you know, throughout the electric industry. Uh, we also need to break down some of these barriers uh, as well, because an information technology IT person has a different perspective on the cybersecurity requirements because they're coming from the IT domain. An OT person, operational technology that's running your SCADA or your substations, has a different perspective. Let's take for a simple example a denial of service attack when somebody goes into a substation or a bad guy gets in there and starts flooding with bogus communications to shut the system down. The IT folk will pretty much go back to that air gap. We need to disconnect that system to keep the bad guy out. From a control system perspective, the last thing I want to do is shut that down. And this is where we have this term CIA, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. That is the, the priority order from an IT side. From an OT side, availability is our number one goal. So we must keep that system up and running. The integrity must be there, so we must know that there is valid information going back and forth, and confidentiality is the least of our concern from the substation perspective. You know, one of the issues that comes to mind as we're talking about all of this is, you know, it, it's a big lift, it sounds like, to get, um, you know, to get utilities that traditionally haven't thought in these terms to up their game in terms of, of cybersecurity. At the same time, though, we have very intent-focused hackers out there or cyber attackers who are, as we like to think about them, very nimble, very aggressive um, and it seems like there's, in a sense, a, a, um, an imbalance here that um, can these large systems and not only systems, technical systems, but uh, industry systems and, and companies and government agencies effectively 
work in a way that they can uh, get ahead of the the attackers that are out there. Yeah, I I would uh, hesitate to give that more credit, if you will, to the uh, the attacking hackers than to the defenders. I watch too many bad movies, but <laughs> but yeah, we have white hat hackers as well, who are people who apply the same mindset and nimbleness of ideas to uh, check things out. And, I, you know, we've had, a, as Steve mentioned earlier, a big change in the culture in the U.S. on this in the last five years because we were not anticipating that the level of danger introduced by the Internet would be at the level it's at now. But once we've accepted that, I think we've been making a lot of progress. And the Department of Energy also has a cyber R&D program where uh, they're developing major advances in encryption. Uh, They have a really novel idea underway related to using the physics of power systems to protect it. They think of it as in the same as immune systems in the body that if they detect instructions that would harm the system, they resist those instructions. And uh, you know, I think a great insight, it has a lot of promise, is also the whole blockchain technology that this began in the dark parts of the web, but now that the lit parts of the net have looked at it, say, oh, we can use this for a lot of applications that can help us track our supply chain, uh, secure our transactions. And so uh, the good guys have brains too. Uh, So I think, you know, we're on a pretty good path at the moment. Uh, You never know what's around the corner, but I I feel pretty confident that we're going to do well. Bill, let me just add to that. So the, what, the, the program that Bill was talking about from the DOE was Collaborative Defense, or we nicknamed it CODA. So ABB was actually engaged in that project along with Bonneville Power Authority and also Ameren, Illinois. And, and he's exactly right. So we're looking at what can we do in the future. Uh, if, if for some reason you know, the control system is saying, this breaker you need to open and shut down this transmission line, uh, the collaborative defense actually looks at the power system dynamics and brings this intelligence about what should actually be happening there to see whether or not this is a, a threat or is it a real action that needs to occur. So there is a lot of advancement in there. And I would also say from the collaboration point of view, uh, the IEEE has signed a memo of understanding uh, and agreement with the, the NERC organization, so we're working closely with them. Uh, as well, the, the DOE is heavily engaged in our activities from, from a standardization perspective. So, so the community in itself is growing, and we're, we're gaining flight. Uh, we also need the, the IT folks from the utilities to come out and also participate in this so we get this level of nomenclature uh, and understanding of each other to move the whole industry forward. Final question. Uh, five years into the future, the three of us sit down to have the same type of conversation. Uh, how will the conversation be different? Will we be much better prepared or will we be talking about the same vulnerabilities that we're talking about today? Bill, you want to grab that one? So uh, I don't like to uh, predict five years in the future. I have enough trouble <laughs> figuring out what lunch will be. But uh, 
I think we'll be continuing to run hard, that this is uh, a competition that's going to go on until uh, we find a way to reach uh, accommodation with the adversarial sides in this. And that will take some time. But I think we'll be doing okay. I do not expect any major uh, success in in attacking the West's grids. Uh, But that said, there'll, I'm sure, be continued penetration and and continued, if you will, preparation of the battlefields by both sides in uh, the other's uh, systems. And Andy, let me just comment on that as well. So if the past and the trend from the past is any indication of where the future will lead, we're, we're in a, a good position because the technology S curve, uh, we, we've come through from the knee point on that. We're now climbing it. So technologies out there, uh, education, awareness, uh, and, and also uh, the support you know, from the top down of the organization. Cybersecurity is on everybody's forefront today. Okay, Ten years ago it wasn't. It was an afterthought on a lot of these systems. So having stuff baked into our designs, baked into our solutions going forward, will absolutely allow us to be more resilient to the threats that come. Bill and Steve, thanks very much for talking. My pleasure. It was Thank you. fun, Andy. Thanks. Today's guests have been Bill Hederman, Senior Fellow at the Climate Center for Energy Policy, and Steve Kunzman, Chairperson of the Cybersecurity Subcommittee at the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in to Energy Policy Now. For more energy policy news and research, visit the Climate Center's website at climateenergy.upenn.edu or subscribe to our Twitter feed at Climate Energy. Thanks for listening to Energy Policy Now and have a great day. 